Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're live with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And I'm here with one of my favorite guests, Dr. William Henrich, the president and CEO of UT Health. So how are you doing today, Dr. Henrich? Couldn't be better. Good to be with you. Nice to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to talk to you about all of the great projects that UT Health is doing. Can you tell me about your little secret? Now, when I scheduled this with you, you didn't reveal to me that you were going to be opening a research hospital. We are, and uh, so let's start with that. Yes. Uh, this is a um, major project for us. It's the first time in our history, 51-year history, that we are endeavoring on some, to do something like this. Uh, so let me start with the why of it. Uh, we have had many great partners in the clinical space in San Antonio over the course of our history. University Health Systems have been a great partner and mm -hmm. still is a great partner. It's our mm -hmm. primary partner. The Veterans Administration, um, the private hospitals in town, the Tenant Baptist System, the HCA Methodist System, and the Christus System have all played major roles in training our students, training our residents, and providing homes for our faculty and for different programs, different programs in different places. In the past several years, we've seen an enormous growth in our clinical practice, our outpatient practice. Mm -hmm. And so as that has occurred, the growth of 8%, 10% a year, we realized that we needed a place to carry forth our clinical work and to carry out the most sophisticated clinical trials that our city and our city's residents should have at their fingertips. You know, one goal of creating a space like this in the hospital uh, realm is that we want to have a place that offers the most sophisticated care, the very best care, so that no one ever will have to leave San Antonio and go someplace else. So the motivation behind this is to create that kind of hospital. And we hope to get final approvals and break ground for it in the spring of 2021. Wow. And then hope to put a shovel in the ground and start drilling in uh, the late spring, early summer of 2021. The project will take three years to complete. Uh, the hospital will have about two-thirds of it dedicated to medical oncology, that is inpatient wow. cancer care, and uh, surgical oncology. And then there'll be uh, some other uh highly articulated services in there as well. So uh, we're really excited. It will not duplicate. You should know this, Tiffany. It's not going to duplicate what we have uh, with our partners at, U at uh, UHS because we decided early in this project that we needed to keep those successful projects going where they are. They require great numbers of teams and UHS has been a great partner. So we want to keep those places there. So we are building this hospital to complement what we have at UHS. And in so doing, we hope to create a system of care that will be available to everybody in San Antonio, distributed across the city with regard to outpatient sites, and then have these hospitals be a really welcoming place for people who need to be hospitalized. And this is why, and I'm stopping right here. When my listeners are hearing you, when people who are watching us see you, I want y'all all to know this is this level of vision is why he was invited today. Our city 
it is the seventh largest city in, in the United States. When this, the pandemic that we are currently going through hit, uh, it's places like San Antonio that were able to adapt. We were able to look at, and I talked to, to uh, you know, I'm sneaky. I talked to Jennifer Milton before I talked to you. <laughs> so I could get low down on what's happening over there. Um, and so you guys, your team, because I know it's not just you, but you built this team. Your team was able to look at what happened in New York. And for all intents and purposes, we could have had the same sort of just explosion here. And they were able to adapt. And, and that's some real adaptation because that's having to adapt quickly to an unknown predator and protect all your people at the same time. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. I'm incredibly proud of the, use the right word, team of people that went into the fire. Um, That's right. You know, it's, uh, they're brave. They were courageous. They were resilient in doing so. Uh, and the complexity of preparing for something as unprecedented as what we have been going through mm -hmm. uh, created new challenges in communication, new challenges in how to build redundant teams that could uh, spell each other mm -hmm. and uh, not lead to the impressive rate of burnout that was mm -hmm. uh, seen in New York, in Boston, in Seattle, Chicago, Detroit. Uh, so I'm incredibly proud of them. I'm also proud of the community education outreach that took place uh, with leaders advising our mayor, our county judge, uh, uh, trying to get the stop the spread methodology out to everybody so that we could amputate the peak in the, in the COVID uh, disease uh, pattern. And, um, and then we stood up the best test, I think, in the, uh, in the city for, for looking at and a quick turnaround test for uh, testing people who were at risk and testing sites under tents, drive-through. I drove through one of them. <laughs> uh, and, um, and that's was, one of the things I like about you is that you, you're hands-on. You're not just like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm the guy in charge. I don't have to go. I don't have to drive through. No, I, I did. It actually, it was nose on. I mean, I offered my nose to the uh, to the tester, and uh, she, you know, she tested me. So, uh, it's a. It, listen, it was a lot of uh, a lot of teamwork, and uh, I say bravery because it wasn't just that they put mm -hmm. their own lives at risk; they put their families' lives at risk, and these are people with children and spouses mm -hmm. and aunts and uncles and parents at home, just like us. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they're doing this was, uh, was inspiring. It was inspiriting to see the way that it was handled. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I appreciate your bringing it up because I'm, I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of them and I'm proud of you because uh, when it comes down to teamwork, not just within UHS, but you all reach out to other hospitals. You have wonderful programs that uh, where you collaborate with others. You know how unheard of that is in the academic world. You know your your peers. <laughs> you know everybody. These are intelligent, brilliant people who like to win, <laughs> and and it it can be tough to get them to to want to work together. You know because. Everybody wants to win. We're 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 a competitive ilk, so <laughs> you want to uh, do well, your very you best. That the objective here was this: we were all in peril, and lives mm -hmm. were in peril, and our city was in peril. Uh, by the way, I, I should say, probably not refer to this in past tense because the, mm -hmm. uh, the reservoir of the virus continues to be a problem yeah. around the country, as you know. Mm -hmm. And as we're doing this interview today, other states in the upper Midwest 
are experiencing the kinds of spikes that we experienced after the Memorial Day weekend in the end of June and July and in that time frame. So lives were at stake. And I, when I say team, I should expand the definition to include many people outside of UT Health, mm-hmm. um, the, all the hospitals, all of the clinics wanted to be a part uh, of this and get their hands on the oar for us to get through this. And I'm pleased with the success we had. You know, to all of my listeners, I just want you all to come on back and listen to Dr. William Henrich, the president and CEO of, of UT Health, because he is showing us what being an American is, what being resilient is, and the spirit that exists in our beautiful city. The beauty of the people that work here, live here, and take care of all of those who work here and live here. I'm very thankful that, that I get the pleasure of, of spending time with him and getting to know his team. They are some of the best people that I've ever met, and they have helped uh, many that I serve in my day job <laughs> and that uh, I, I have in my own family, you know, so I... I thank you, Dr. Hinrich, and everybody come on back and listen a little bit more because this guy's pretty okay. He has some good things to say to you. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. Tell us, tell my listeners a little bit more about, because you have so many things that are happening that are really unprecedented, unique projects. I mean, we could touch on almost any department. We could. something. You know, I think it's probably... It goes without saying, but maybe it deserves emphasis for the audience to know that starting with the first step of why we were created 51 years ago, we were created as a state agency to do the public good. And we were chartered as a school because the wisdom of the state leaders at the time was that we needed a place that would provide educations of the first class to the next generation of doctors, nurses, dentists, health professionals, and scientists. So UT Health has at its core mission the public good. That means everybody. That doesn't mean one segment and not another segment. It means everybody is part of that. And I want our listeners to understand exactly what you just said there. UT Health, they don't pick and choose the patients that come in. It doesn't matter how sick they are. The the doctors and the scientists and the researchers there are there specifically to, to do exactly what he just said, to do the public good. So That's right. there isn't anyone 
that that they're turning away. So it's our compass. It's it's a mission we embrace, and we try to do the public good through three missions: through the education mission, we were charters at schools. Mm-hmm. We have to turn out one thousand newly minted health professionals every May and June. Wow! Workforce. <laughs> Uh, That's one thing. The second mission is biomedical research, to be on the leading edge of biomedical research so that the diseases we have today are more manageable or curable tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the third is through clinical service. And the hospital we talked about building our partnership with University Health System and the VA and other places is what we talked about in the first segment. That's how we do that through Mm -hmm. our, our clinical offices around the city and these hospitals. So um, one of the major ways that we provide the public good is through a clinical service that contains at every person we touch part of our education mission, part of our research mission. So, for example, if I saw you as a patient or I saw your family member as a patient, I'd be bringing to bear all of the clinical expertise I had, but backing it up would be my experience as an investigator and my uh, experience as an educator. And I like that Mm -hmm. triple benefit for patients at the time that they're seen. I think it offers uh, an advantage for the patient. And we collaborate with everybody in the city and we Uh, We will continue to do that enthusiastically. But I think this is our unique feature, Tiffany, is that we have embedded in every person that we see these uh, these other missions that we are mindful of when we see a new person. So, for example, if there's something, heaven forbid, that somebody had a cancer that was, that the conventional therapy wasn't useful for, Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't have an effect. We have available, because we have a National Cancer Institute designated center, clinical trials, many clinical trials that not only can inure a benefit to the person, to the person's family, but also leave a research record about what works mm-hmm. and what doesn't work. So for the most difficult cancers, the most difficult kinds of heart disease, the most difficult and most vulnerable in diabetes and so forth, we can steer the person to a trial that will uh, hopefully, hopefully help them, but also help others as we build the body of knowledge. You know, nobody in 2020, nobody, not a single person living in the world who's experienced the disruption that this pandemic has caused. There's not a single person today who would say that science isn't important. That's right. There, who, would st- who would sit there and say, That's it doesn't point. matter, it, I don't care about it? Because even if you have blinders on about science and you've taken mm-hmm. all the things that we take for granted for granted, mm-hmm. if you've done that your whole life, you can't say that you haven't been touched by this pandemic. Exactly. Airlines aren't flying, mm-hmm. businesses aren't open, restaurants aren't working, school is a mess, mm-hmm. and on and on and on. This pandemic has brought the world to its proverbial knees, mm-hmm. and it is in that context that everybody now has to understand that our only hope, our best hope for the future, mm-hmm. is rooted in scientific discovery. And so, and that uh, requires working it, together. It requires collaborative teamwork. Mm-hmm. It requires identifying the problems that are the most vexing to solve today, and then it involves uh, a team of dedicated, resilient people. That's right. I'll tell you. Uh, you know, and I I have to say this: when this pandemic took over, and all. It, it seemed like all heaven was breaking loose around here. <laughs> I thought, I thought about you. I thought about the teams of of people working at UT Health, at uh, you know, in in research because they're 
there's so much that happens on that camp, on that campus. And I thought, man, the whole city needs to know about what's going on in those hallowed halls because the what is happening there will save will save our lives now and will pave the way for for therapeutics for new new ways of dealing with mm -hmm. with old diseases in the future that's right well uh, there there are some who say that the reason life expectancy in in industrialized countries like ours has progressed from where it was to where it is today, from say the 19th century through the 20th century to the 21st century, is because of two major factors. The ability to provide people clean water, and the second is the development of antibiotics. Each of these advances is leveraged on science, and science mm -hmm. has helped us. And we take them all for granted. We are so interested in other things that we don't think about this until a little RNA particle <laughs> called COVID-19 yeah. mm -hmm. uh, came uh, out of civets or bats or some mm -hmm. animal in the Far East, and then found a human host. And until that moment, until that nanosecond, you could say, well, I don't know that that was all that important. But if you look at your historical literature, you'll agree with me that we were always leveraged against science. We were always leveraged about what the next discovery would be or what the next challenge would be to our health. And something you and I said when we were taping a minute ago is true. In addition to understanding the scientific, the centrality of scientific discovery, there is nobody in the country now who would say that the single most important element in your life, aside from your loved ones, is your health. That's right. You lose your health, you can't work, you can't learn, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't comport your daily activities. So um, that's why it's so central so core to the uh, to our to our to our lives and I think uh, if if there's one good thing that came out of the pandemic it's the fact that this realization is true mm -hmm. and that we and all that need people, to be aware of it and people are becoming aware of it you need to be aware of it the average person is now thinking about their health I think so I think so you know we're we are it, it's on everybody's minds, you know. I, when um, I say this all the time, I, I the reason why I am not in the same boat as all of the rest of my family members is because uh, ten years ago I lost, I weighed three hundred forty pounds and I lost one hundred eighty-seven pounds. Ten years and kept it off. When I did that, you know, you could make. People really perked their ears up if you turned the show into how I lost a hundred. <laughs> people I, don't care about listening to me, but they would certainly will, like to listen to you talk about I how will, you lost one hundred eighty-seven pounds. I will tell you that 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 change with, with my my cousin who is in ESRD and my brother who who is in ESRD. He went into ESRD since I've had been in this job. Um, my little cousin lost 167 pounds and now he's up for transplant. Oh, good for him. My brother, we think that what's wrong with us, with our, our family, our side of the family, is that we have, um, APOL1. Mm -hmm. And so I introduced Durrell to Dr. Wesson. Mm -hmm. And Durrell started doing a vegan diet. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's probably the most vigilant person I know about his health. I am like the loser in the family. <laughs> I'm the underachiever in our family. My brother is like, you know, he's the winningest attorney in the state of Texas in his specialty. Still is, even with, even with, uh, even being in renal failure. And he has, he's, even though he's in stage five, he has pushed back that, uh, he's pushed, pushed back 
dialysis by by following a very strict diet. But our health is the most important thing in our lives. If you can if you can marshal your health and marshal your will to change your BMI even by ten percent. Mm-hmm. That makes a big difference. A, it makes a huge, makes a huge difference. difference. Come back and listen, because we're going to talk about some of the other timely things that are happening right now with uh, social injustice and, and the healthcare system. I think you're going to be happy to hear what's happening at, at in our wonderful city. Uh, we're, I feel like we're paving the way for what can be done in the other cities. Um, You're listening to On The Record with Tiffany and let's talk more about our health. And we're back with On The Record with Tiffany and I'm here for my third segment with one of my favorite people, Dr. William Henrich, the President and CEO of UT Health. So I want to talk to you about something that we've been seeing a lot in the headlines, and that is um, social injustice as it relates to healthcare. So the when people are talking about that, they're talking about algorithms and how that affects uh, whether or not a person is chosen for a transplant and a myriad of other things. Can you explain to our listeners? what that means because sometimes I think people get confused and they think it means that the doctors and everybody's out to to do something to cert- certain people groups to African Americans or to Hispanic people and that's just not the case an algorithm is completely different from what from a physician trying to uh, make a decision let me take a swing at it, uh, <laughs> and then you can uh, get me back on track if I if I get off the rails. Well, the the public good means the general public. It means everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody counts. Right. So the general conclusion about why there are health disparities among individuals with lower socioeconomic Mm-hmm. level in our society is built around the general concept of a lack of access. Mm-hmm. Part of it's educational, but it's a lack of access to care. And that's lots of things, right? That, that's that's a lot of things. It's, it's uh, well, it's not having a computer. Right. It's not having uh, a it's personal transportation. It's transportation. cell device. Yeah. It's being... It's the need to ride three buses to get to somebody's office. Exactly. Or to get to fresh food. Or to get to good food. Or to (laughs) to even get, to have the money to to buy fresh food versus what you could buy. I know the, uh, not telling you anything that is going to surprise you or anybody listening to this, but I'm amazed at the advertisements about fast food on TV. Two Whoppers for five bucks and, Dr. and and with fries and a Coke. Dr. Hendricks, when I weighed 340 pounds, I was a person eating two Whoppers. I, I don't touch Whoppers now, but I but it's funny that you would say that because well, it's that food that is, we're literally with our mouth, we're killing ourselves with our teeth. So, the, so there is a whole array of things that follow from the wrong foods, the wrong, not having access, but they're related to money. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're related to uh, uh, just having the ability to talk to somebody who can get them, get people the right information. So we're part of the, we're part of the effort to increase awareness about this and to create more sites in different parts of our city to get people closer to where they need to be to get the access they need. And we have a, uh, a number of programs which have targeted specific groups to do this. Can I mention just one? Yes. Go so just one is that in Hispanic culture, there's not only this 
barrier of money in some parts of the Hispanic culture, just a barrier of money. But people don't, uh, in essence, they don't fully trust someone who isn't from that from that culture. Right. I don't blame them. Nobody does. And so uh, we've got a program now where we're using promotores, these uh, community health workers, we to try and get at uh, an earlier stage of diabetic uh, therapy so that people uh, don't develop the complications of diabetes, which you know well. Mm -hmm. Eye disease, kidney disease, heart disease, peripheral vascular disease. And I think that that's an example of a program where uh, there could be an inroad made. But by and large, it comes down to access to care. Mm -hmm. You don't have access to care. The little things that can go wrong in your life as you age, like your blood pressure goes up. Well, everybody's blood pressure tends to rise as you get older, but you can control it with medicines. This is a treatable issue. And if you treat it, then you avoid all of the complications of higher blood pressure. Mm -hmm. But people can't get, they can't get access. So um, we've expanded our capacity. We've tried to expand our outreach and we welcome you know, we welcome feedback on how we're doing. We want to be much more available and much more responsive than has been uh, present in the past. So, uh, but you're right. I mean, it's, if you could just, if you could just change the, the cookbook a little bit, if you could just, you if know, you could just do a few things like that, that would make differences in people's lives. And uh, yeah. I'd be looking to you and to your listeners for answers on. Well, I want to tell you something. I'm going to give you a little piece of insight into Tiffany. <laughs> Not that he was desperate for that. Um, <laughs> when we were talking about me having lost 187 pounds, what happened was, what had happened was, <laughs> was that. Um, when we found out that we were going to be able to, to adopt her, our oldest daughter, I wasn't going to turn her into the woman I was at that moment. And I knew I had to change. In order to do that, I unplugged from television. And I thought that I would unplug from television for three months, six months. It ended up being three and a half years because I was trying to change the ticker tape that runs in one's head. Everybody has a, uh, a narrative <clears throat> that they believe about themselves, about what's happening around them, uh, that runs in their head, whether they want to or not. You're reacting to what you believe. So I had to change what I believed in order to be able to interact with food and people in the appropriate way. And that's how I lost all of that weight mm -hmm. um, because I tried everything. I tried uh, weight loss surgery. I tried all of the, the shortcuts, pills, but, you know, I tried it all. And I knew that uh, I would have to change this mm -hmm. to change the rest of it. Uh, and I did. But it took three and a half years of no television. We, uh, I was very materialistic at the time. And so we sold everything and gave, we sold some things and gave everything else away and moved into a, an 800 square foot apartment, five of us, and lived that way to break the materialism with, with no television. <laughs> and that was an adventure. <laughs> but I, I said all that to say, uh, it's not as simple as just eating differently. Mm -hmm. Like what you're doing with the promotoras. So that's what changed me. Mm -hmm. And then when I took over TKF, behavioral health, became like the thing that that because I feel like that is what 
will change our city and our state and our nation is when you take control of your own life and what's going into your body and how you how you feel about what's going into your body mm-hmm. there is an empowerment that is indescribable mm-hmm. it is a, a joy that is indescribable now you feel like you're back back mm-hmm. on top again you bet yeah. you, that you that you can't you know you're not you're not a slave to this other kind of life that you've had and, and you uh, can be whoever it is that you can you, you can you can recreate yourself that's right and uh, and Absolutely. I want to say something before this uh, this segment ends which is if your listeners had your if they're afflicted with one of these other chronic conditions out there if I were asked what single thing I would focus on that would make my general health better if you happen to have been diagnosed with hypertension, high blood pressure, mm-hmm. I would focus on that. And the reason I say that is because if you control your blood pressure in decent levels, mm-hmm. you've gone a long way toward improving your entire health, including your heart's health, mm-hmm. your peripheral vasculature's health, mm-hmm. your brain's health, your eye's health. And so I'd say to everybody who's listening, if you can just get access, sufficient access to uh, get on the right blood pressure combination. And believe Mm -hmm. me, there is a right blood pressure combination that's very, very commonly available uh, for 99% of people. Mm -hmm. Then you'll have done what you can do with managing the chronic condition that you have. Um, And... uh, now the medicines are generic medicines. They're cheap. They're not expensive, and uh, people can people can tolerate them very well. But you have to get to them. You have to find someone who can make this diagnosis, adjust mm-hmm. the medicines for you, so they're safe. And once that happens, uh, you can you can be proud of the fact that you've helped yourself. You've really helped yourself. Helped yourself get better. And that's that is a true statement. You have to. You have the power to change what's going on in your life. You can do that by doing exactly what Dr. Hammer said, getting the getting on the right blood pressure medicine for you. And, and many people have high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. I, I had high blood pressure. I had high blood pressure, enlarged heart, diabetes. Uh, even today, I still deal with blood pressure, but I take one-eighth of what I used to take. For blood pressure, um, but so all important. of all of those comorbidities, you can change it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about your health that you can't take control of and have some positive effect on your own life. But it requires that you do something that we don't talk about a lot in this country, and that is. You have to take responsibility for what's going into your mouth and just kind of look at yourself and say, okay, these are, these are some things that I may be doing wrong, but I can get it right. Mm-hmm. I may have done it wrong 10 seconds ago. I can get it right now. Mm-hmm. So remember that. Don't be your hardest critic. Be your biggest cheerleader. And you, you've got opportunity and places to go that can help you. We're going to talk to them one last bit about a few things that I want to hear about. Okay, Dr. Hendricks. Now, I've, I've picked your brain on some of your great departments and, and your fabulous doctors. Uh, I want to hear about you because it takes vision to look at what's going on today and what you need to do for the next 12, 24, 36 months. But then to build a program that has a breakthrough, like like discovering a diabetic pathway that uh, connects directly to chronic kidney disease. Being able to look at who's going to be on that team and how are you going to build the team. You know, you went and got one of the best mitochondrial uh, doctors in the country and brought him here to put him on a team <laughs> to, that 
you, you couldn't know that they were going to do that. But you had to envision that they might be able to do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, so how do you do that? <laughs> well, uh, two starting comments. <laughs> uh, one is that uh, every, everything that we do that leads to success is dependent on a person. It's dependent on people. Mm-hmm. It's dependent on people who lead a project, but it's dependent on the teamwork that's mm-hmm. encompassed in the project and the talented core of people who lead it. So uh, in that example that you used, mm-hmm. uh, that was apparent. People who have had success before mm-hmm. and who are passionate about their work. And they are. I know those two. They, <laughs> I, know, I know you know the person you're talking about. Uh, but who are passionate about their work and who won't settle mm-hmm. for less than a clear and incisive result are the people we want to add to our team because that's mm-hmm. our general philosophy. In general, uh, the past, there's a, in the National Archives in Washington, there's a, there's a, on the proscenium of the building, uh, uh, letters which read that the past is prologue. The reason we study the past, the reason the past is important to us is it foretells the future. Mm-hmm. And in someone's track record as a scientist, as an educator, as a clinician, if they've had an excellent record, mm-hmm. then the odds are that, in your favor, that they will continue to contribute because they're not doing it for any other reason than to advance science, advance mm-hmm. clinical care, advance education. So what we uh, try to do is to advance in missions by uh, adding to our team, our talented team we have today, additional, as I said a moment ago, hands on the oar who can mm-hmm. help us row with more strength, more vigor, and then get more successful. And we don't seek success for ourselves. We're seeking it for that for that reason I said at the beginning of our talk today, which is the public good. It means that if we can if we can move research, move that needle, if we can move the clinical needle, if we can move the educational needle, it means we'll be doing more for the public good, which makes us more in alignment with what our founders wanted us to do. They wanted us to help the public, to lift them up. And through those three missions, we're trying to do it, and we need these talented people to do it. So I try to find people who are passionate and visionary and who have idea factories (laughs) and uh, who uh, come at you with more uh, um, energy than you can possibly contain. And once you get them to have some traction, mm-hmm. uh, it's wonderful. Patients benefit, patients' families benefit, the learners all get smarter. Patients and love you all. They love the doctors so. they care for them. No, I'm telling you that they do. Okay, this is, okay, I'll tell so. you a little, little, little thing about me. I'm kind of sneaky. You already know that. You know that a little bit. But one of the things that I do is I investigate. You know, my background is journalism. So I'll go and look around. Before I sign on with somebody and say, you know what, I just love Dr. Henrich. Before I ever made that statement, I investigate (laughs) your team (laughs) to see what are they doing over there. So I would go and chat up patients. How do you mm-hmm. like it here? Mm-hmm. How's it going? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how are you being treated? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I started to fall for UHS was through Dr. Sigurdor. Because mm-hmm. here's this guy who's, you know, world-renowned. Like, truly, not just 
I adore him, which I do not. I didn't know him to begin with, but I was like, I, I'm going to check this guy out, see if he's worth his salt. You know, so I, I was over there trolling around. And uh, I'd gone by his office. And there was a couple sitting in those two little seats, you know, like that they have right there outside of the ladies. And uh, I saw them. And I went over and I was standing there talking to, to uh, Ronnie. Dr. Sigaroa's assistant. And Dr. Sigaroa came out. So I'm standing there, and there's this little couple. And, uh, you know, she looks a little little frazzled, and, and uh, dad's, dad's clearly just gotten off from work, and the kid is like, mm -hmm. you know. And Dr. Sigaroa walked out. She looked at me. I had an appointment. They did. He looked at them, and he walked right over to them, picked up that child, and started talking to that child. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what he should have done. And when I saw that, I started thawing <laughs> towards him. <laughs> so then, you know, I was still... Like, no, I'm, I'm going to investigate this place. You, I, you know, make sure this guy and all of these people are doing, uh, you know, they're nice to people even if they're, they're the poorest of the poor. And that is exactly what the team does there. And difficult cases, you know, people that are, are difficult. Yeah. They, they are warm and generous and kind, even when, in moments when a lot of other people would have just broke down and said, I'm, I'm done with this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, it's especially important uh, to mention him. Uh, uh, for example, I am in San Antonio because of Francisco Cigarro. He recruited I didn't know me. that. He recruited me here. I was uh, in Maryland as the chair of medicine at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and I was recruited here to be the dean of the medical school. When Cisco was the president of the institution, had the job I have now. So um, I had known one of Cisco's brothers, who was a physician for many years, and I'd heard about Cisco just in general conversations with mm -hmm. the brother. Uh, but this was uh, my first introduction to meeting him, and uh, I came. I came to San Antonio because uh, of him, uh, because he asked me to be the dean, and I knew that our partnership would be a strong one and would provide benefit to the institution if we could if you get going. And uh, so, uh, and the, the story you recount about him is authentic and yes. true yeah. and uh, replicated many times over. Uh, and if we, if we uh, as a group can replicate that behavior, if we can uh, imitate that behavior with every person that we see, and if we can do it with the sincerity that he does it, mm -hmm. then... Uh, then we'll, that public good that we've been talking about will be certainly fulfilled. Well, you all do a, an excellent job of the public good, and you do that. Uh, when I first took on my role, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I hadn't been here very long, maybe like two, two months, maybe, maybe two or three months. And you and, uh, and Dr. Sharma mm -hmm. took me to a ball game which I don't know why you did that because I don't know anything about basketball. <laughs> but he took me to a ball game and I knew one professional basketball player, uh, Malik Rose. So I text Malik and I'm like, you know what, I'm at this basketball game and it's the team that you're from your hometown. I think it was in Detroit and, and the Spurs playing and, and then the team that you played for. And he was like, who on earth would bring you <laughs> to a basketball game. 
Because you don't know. No basketball. You know, you know nothing about basketball. Because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't even know who he was when I first met him. I was like, I had to look him up and figure this out. But um, but anyway, uh, you took me to that game. And the probably like two weeks after that, I'd asked I'd ask Dr. Sigueroa some questions about, like, what's, what can we do better? What have we done? And, and what do you see as a need in our community. And he said, well, you need to do. And he was just 100% helpful, mm-hmm. uh, but but tough. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're the same way. Like when I asked uh, the same question, because I, I basically just wanted to hear from different angles, what is it that our community needs? How can we be helpful? Uh, we're a, a local organization, so our scope should be something related to boots on the ground. Um, you're not trying to do the same thing in terms of policy as as a national organization, as like, you know, we're the Texas Kidney Foundation, so you're not trying to do the same thing necessarily as the National Kidney Foundation, but you're trying to serve your community. And how, how are you to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and you you gave me honest answers <laughs> about what I could do and uh, and what was feasible in, in the scope of time that I had. And, uh, and I will forever remain grateful. You're very welcome. Thanks for your work with the Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.